0: Did you know that science has come so far in the last hundred years? Think about it. Like a hundred years ago, scientists and doctors and nurses really didn't have a good grasp of what the human body was all about. If you were sick, you'd probably go to the doctor and I don't know what he would do. Put like a cold blanket on your head, feed you some whiskey and say, hey, there we go. But now, if you go to the doctor, the chances are 99% of the time, the doctor is going to know exactly what is wrong with you. Because science and medicine has advanced so much. But yet, even though science and medicine advance so much, there is something that even the scientists and the doctors still find a mystery. And there's a part of your body that they still really do not fully understand. And that is your brain. And there is something that scientists are still trying to figure out, and that is your, the human mind. And the other day, I heard a scientist on TV. I was watching one of those like, geeky shows, and, um, because I kind of like those geeky shows. Um, and, and I heard this scientist say on TV, he said that they believe, that science now believes, that there is something powerful about the mind. And they said there is something powerful about positive thinking. And they believe that there is some kind of mystical healing power in positive thinking. But they also carried on to say that they believe that people who have faith and believe in something actually often live a lot longer than others. But they can't explain it. But yet we see like positive thinking and faith and and that sort of stuff. We see that people kind of grasp hold of this. Think of like business gurus or, you know, those consultants who speak to lots of people. They always talk about positive thinking. I mean, like, what is it, Tony Robbins, you know, I mean, he's like positive thinking galore. But you also see that uh, that fitness experts as well. I mean, you go to the gym and they're like, believe that you can do it, believe you can do it. And think positively about it. Life coaches, sports coaches. There is one common principle that they all use. And that is this, belief. Belief in yourself, belief in others, and belief that you can do what you think that you can't do. If you just believe that you can do it, all these people think that you should be able to do it. And they say if you just channel your mind to believe, then you have one step up on everyone else. I'll be honest this morning. I think that a lot of the positive thinking stuff is, is pretty nonsense. And I think a lot of it do it just to sell some books and uh, make lots of money. But I do believe this morning that there is no doubting that belief is a strong tool. Whether you're a business person, whether you're into sports, whether you're just trying to make your life better, then there is something about belief. And you see that that marriages, when couples believe in each other, those marriages are often a lot more happier than others. You see, with your kids, when, when, when you have parents who believe in their kids, those kids often turn out to excel more than kids who nobody believed in. There is something strong about the belief. And the reason I believe this is because I've discovered that the third enemy of your soul it's probably the strongest. We've talked about the past. We've talked about our weaknesses and our struggles. But today, I think what we're going to talk about is probably the strongest enemy that wants to destroy your life. And in order to overcome this enemy, it takes a special tool. And that tool, I think, is just a little bit more, a little bit bigger, and a little bit more powerful than just positive thinking. And so the third enemy of your soul, and what we're going to talk about this morning, is something that I call on. Belief, unbelief, you know, unbelief is so subtle, it's so cunning that have you ever heard of the phrase people saying seeing is believing? I'm sure you have. Have you heard that? Seeing is believing? Yeah. Well, when unbelief kicks into your life, sometimes you may see something and you don't even believe it. There was an example in the Bible. There was a guy called Thomas who was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has died and he's risen again. And everybody's saying Jesus is alive again. And Thomas is saying, no way. There's no way that this guy can be alive. He says, I've got to see it to believe it. And then Jesus appears to Thomas, and still Thomas does not believe that Jesus is alive. Even though he's seen him right in front of him, he does not believe it. And the only way he can believe it is if he sees just the scars in his hands, the nail scars in his hands and his feet. So Thomas saw something, but yet he didn't believe it. And I think this is what unbelief does in our lives. It can take something that seems so obvious, and it can kind of like do an illusion so that we can't see it. And if you've allowed unbelief to make residence in your life, slowly but surely, it's going to suck the very life out of your soul. And So today, let me show you what I mean. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, and verses 1 to 6, it says here, it says, Jesus and his disciples went to Nazareth, which was Jesus' hometown. The next Sabbath, which for them was a Saturday because they were Jews, Jesus began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard Jesus were amazed. They asked, where did Jesus get all his wisdom and the power to perform miracles? Then the people scoffed. He's just a carpenter. Jesus is the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, And Simon and his sisters live right here among us. So his sisters still lived in his hometown. And the people were deeply offended by Jesus. And then listen to this. They refused to believe in him. So they've seen Jesus. They saw Jesus, this man who performed all these miracles. But yet they still believe, refused to believe in Jesus. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of the people's unbelief, Jesus couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. So here we have a story of Jesus going to his hometown. The place he grew up, you know, the place he went to school. His family is still there. And Jesus goes to his hometown. And the Bible says that Jesus could not perform any miracles. And I'm thinking, what? Jesus can't perform any miracles. Isn't Jesus like the miracle man? Isn't Jesus the man who claims to be God? Isn't Jesus the man who had like five little buns of of bread and and two little like sardine fish, and he was able to feed 5,000 people? Isn't Jesus the man who defied logic, logic and walked on water? Isn't Jesus the man who when people were oppressed by devils, Jesus would come and cast those devils out of them? Isn't Jesus the man who would heal the sick? He would open the eyes of the blind, open the ears of the deaf, isn't Jesus the man who spoke with confidence and wisdom? But now it seems that Jesus' power has dried up. You may ask, what do you mean Jesus' power has dried up? How can that be? Isn't Jesus God? And if Jesus is God, then how can his power dry up? Isn't Jesus the one who 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 ultimately controls the sun and the stars? Isn't Jesus the one who was there at the beginning and the end? The Bible says the Alpha and the Omega. How can this man's power dry up? If this man's power dries up, then we're all in trouble. But yet Jesus' power did dry up. And there is one reason for Jesus' lack of power in this place called Nazareth. And that is unbelief. Unbelief. I honestly believe that unbelief is the single most destructive force against a believer of Jesus Christ. I also think it's a single most destructive force against somebody who does not believe in Jesus Christ. I think the power of unbelief is so great, it can bring down the greatest men and women of God. And today, what I wanted to do, I want us to take a quick look. At why unbelief is so powerful. Why even Jesus was stopped by unbelief. And what is the antidote to unbelief? And how we can make war on our unbelief. So, the first thing I want to look at today is why is unbelief so powerful? And I use a phrase I think unbelief is so powerful because unbelief changes the locks and the keys. Unbelief changes the locks and the keys. Look in in Mark chapter 6 and verse 5. It says there, it says, And because of the people's unbelief, Jesus couldn't do any miracles among them except for lay his hands on a few sick people. You know, in week 1 we discussed Ephesians chapter 6. And in Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us that there is a war for, for our souls. There is a war going on with our lives. And this war, it tells us, it's not against flesh and blood. So it's not against humans. But Ephesians 6 says it's against spiritual powers and wickedness and rulers in heavenly places. It tells us that our battle is not against this world that we live in, this human world, but it is against an unseen world, a world that we cannot see. And for the sake of this morning... I want us to distinguish between two different worlds. It's almost like sci-fi, isn't it? It's like, ooh. But you've got the human world, and then you've got what I call the spirit world, or the heavenly realm. And in the spirit world, I believe, or this heavenly realm, I believe that the laws of our human world do not exist. What I mean by that is that in this heavenly realm, in this spiritual world, Say, for example, the laws of gravity don't exist. It's not like everybody's on their, you know, on their feet and, and you know, an apple drops and drops to the floor. I don't think our gravity exists in this unseen heavenly realm. I also don't think that this heavenly realm is governed by time and space like we are. There's no sun that rises and sun that sets. There's no clocks that go forward or clocks that go back. And I also believe that for a human being, for us this morning, just one glance or one look at this world will show us the very greatness and awesomeness of God. I think it will really show us what things uh, or how things really are. And I think a look at this world will give us understanding into what the real powers of this world that we live in really are. However, I think there's a problem. And the problem is this, is that we're humans and we're stuck in this hu- human world. Unless you've got like a Stargate, and I, I couldn't stand that show. Remember Stargate? I hated that. But they would like go into the Stargate and then they would like transform in, or like they would like teleport into another world. Like how many Trekkies have we got here this morning, Star Trek fans? And you a minute? Oh boy. Okay. But anyway, so you've got these Star Trek and and what, what did, uh, what, was it Spark was it, that he, uh, no, what he would always say, he would say, beam me up, Scotty. And he would like be transformed from one area to another. Well, us humans, we don't have that luxury. And uh, as much as Back to the Future would like us to have that luxury, we don't have that luxury. We are here in this human world. And because we are here here in this human world, it means that there is a barrier placed between these two worlds. This heavenly realm and this earthly realm. And it's almost like a closed door. A door is shut. And the only way for you to be able to see that heavenly realm is if a door is open. It's almost like Alice in Wonderland. When Alice uh, was about to go into Wonderland, she had to go through a door. And for your lives this morning, in order for you to get a glimpse of this heavenly world or this world, this unseen world, you have to walk through a door. And I believe it's at this point when you're face to face with this door, that is when unbelief kicks in. You know, Jesus, I believe, was a man who had one foot in the human world and one foot in this heavenly realm. And I believed that, that this door was constantly open for Jesus. So Jesus could walk between the two. Jesus coexisted in both. And I think that's why Jesus could walk on water. Because let's be honest. I read a story like Jesus walked on water. And if I heard that like in the news, I'd be like, No way, there's no chance somebody could walk on water. But yet... Jesus, because he had one foot in the human world and one foot in this heavenly world where the laws of the human world do not exist, he was able to do things in this human world that is absolutely impossible to do. That is why Jesus could multiply bread and loaves. Jesus could heal people because he could do things that this human world could not do because in the heavenly realm it was possible to do. However, we see now that Jesus goes back to this place called Nazareth. And as Jesus walks into Nazareth, Jesus has been healing people. People's lives have been changed. Now Jesus goes to Nazareth and it's suddenly like this door is just shut in Jesus' face. And the people there just shut in his face, they change the locks, throw away the keys. You see, the reason for this is the Bible says that Because of the people's unbelief, Jesus could not perform the miracles. And you see, what unbelief does in your life, unbelief shuts the door between these two worlds. Between this heavenly world and this human world. And so, what is impossible in this human world, when unbelief comes in, stays impossible. When you have a view of the heavenly world, when unbelief comes in, Suddenly the door is shut and you can't see that unseen heavenly world anymore. You know, these people in Nazareth, they did not believe in Jesus. I think they probably became very familiar with him. He He grew up. They saw him grow up. They saw him playing with other kids, going to school. They were thinking, how can this man be who he says he is? How can this man really be God in the flesh of a human being? They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe in who Jesus said he was. And what they did is they closed the door on Jesus. And the fact is, it wasn't that Jesus had lost his power. It wasn't that Jesus couldn't perform miracles anymore. Because we see that Jesus did perform a few miracles. He lay his hands on a few people and they were healed. But for the most part, the people did not see the power of Jesus. And it wasn't because Jesus had lost his power But it's because the power of Jesus could not flow to these people. Because unbelief had cut the power like cutting a power line. How many of you lost uh, power in uh, Hurricane Irene when it came? How many enjoyed losing power? No one. How many lost it for like 24 hours? One. 48 hours? I was like almost 48 hours. And I tell you, I was freaking out. I just didn't, I mean, I could not, like, a few weeks ago we went up to Lancaster County and we were there with the Amish and bless them, you know, God bless them, but I do not want to live that life because I need power. And I just don't know, I mean, it was 48 hours without power and I felt like I was just, like, going crazy. But what happened is that morning I woke up when Hurricane Irene happened We had no power, so we went out and we were driving around. And we would see that some neighborhoods had power. Some neighborhoods didn't have power. In fact, this movie theater actually had power, which I was surprised at. But we didn't have power. And the reason we didn't have power is because there was a cut in the line from when the power was generated to where we were, where we were living. There was a line that was cut. And when unbelief comes into our lives... It's like it cuts that line so the power of God can't flow into our lives. You know, in Romans chapter 11 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul is talking about the Jews because a lot of the Jews didn't didn't accept Jesus. They didn't believe in Jesus. And because of that, God kind of cut them off. Cut, cut them off from their blessings and all that God had promised. And the Apostle Paul says this. He says, remember, those branches, meaning the Jews, were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. So they were broken off. There was a breaking because they did not believe in Christ. And then he says to, to, the, to the Roman churches we writing to, he says, but you, you are there. You still have a connection. You still have power because you believe. Then he says, don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. And when we, stop, when we stop believing in Christ and we have unbelief, it's like someone just pulls the power. Someone just takes the power out and no longer we have the power of Christ. And this is what unbelief does in your life. Unbelief basically cuts off the power. It locks the door and it stops you from seeing, hearing, sensing and feeling Jesus Christ. And some of you, you may have been a Christian for a while. And you may be in a place where you're like, I'm not even feeling God. I'm not even sensing God. And I guarantee you probably can trace it back to a time where unbelief has probably kicked into your life. Because unbelief locks the door, changes the locks, and throws away the keys. Also, we see that unbelief does something else. Unbelief also separates us from God. It separates us from God. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 3, I should say, and verse 12, it says there, it says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure in your own hearts, or make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. So basically, make sure our hearts are not unbelieving here. Turning us away from the living God. So there he's saying, if you have evil or if you have unbelief in your heart, it's going to turn you away from God. This is why it's an enemy of your life. It's not just something that just ha- is part of living. It's an enemy because it turns you away from God. It says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today. So that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting in God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all the things that belong to Christ. Remember what he says. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And then he says this. And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? So there was this big nation who was led out of Egypt, And God was taking them to a place called the promised land. And suddenly they stopped believing in God. And then he says this. He says, wasn't it the people who sinned? Whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Or they would never enter the promised land? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed God? And then he says this. He says, so we see... That because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. Or they were not able to enter into the promised land that God has for us. I believe there is one purpose the enemy of unbelief attacks you for. And that is this. To separate you from God. To separate you from God. I believe when unbelief comes in, it like pushes a wedge between you and God. And the more that you allow unbelief to grow in your life, the greater that wedge comes. The nation of Israel, they could just not stop unbelief filtering into their neighborhoods, into their camp, into their nation. Because they lay in the desert and they could not see where God was going to perform a miracle. They knew God had promised them so much, but yet they were dying in the desert and they just, because of the desert, then unbelief just started to filter through their hearts. And the Bible says, Because of their unbelief, they died in the desert. They died in the very place that they let unbelief penetrate their heart. And Moses, we all know how great Moses was. Moses was the man who split the the Red Sea and did these wonderful miracles. But yet, the Bible tells us there was a point when Moses did not believe God. And God says, because of your unbelief, Moses no matter how great you've been because of your unbelief, you are not going to enter into the promises that I have given the nation of Israel. And this is what I believe this morning. I believe each and every one of us has a great plan that God has for our lives. I believe each of, uh, uh, each of us are on a journey, almost like the nation of Israel, we're on a journey to an amazing place, amazing things that God has for us. And we may see them in this life, we may see them in the next life. But all I know is that God has a plan for your life. And the enemy of unbelief wants to stop that plan in your life. And so what he does, he puts a wedge between you and God to separate you. And when you are separated from God. No longer are you able to see God. You can't hear God. You can't sense God. And when you are separated from God, I believe that this life becomes very dark and it becomes very frustrating. That's what unbelief does. It basically changes the locks and changes the keys and it separates you from God. But there's good news this morning. And very quickly, it's my last thing that I, I, I want to say, but very quickly... I want to give you the antidote to unbelief. The antidote to unbelief. I believe there's only one way to defeat our unbelief. And that is this. By walking in faith. Walking in faith. I believe that faith isn't a feeling. It's not an emotion. But in fact, faith is a choice to take action. Unbelief may control you. But you have the ability to control your faith. And let me tell you this morning, faith always trumps unbelief. Faith always trumps unbelief. Just like a pair of aces always trumps a pair of kings. Faith always trumps unbelief. Unbelief is basically this. Unbelief says God can't. Faith says God can. Unbelief says God can't. Faith says God can. Here in, if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to to Mark 11. Mark 11. In Mark 11, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about faith. And he says kind of a crazy thing to them. And I've heard a lot of people quote this and I still really can't get my head around it much. But in Mark eleven twenty two, it says this. It says, Jesus says to his disciples, have faith in God. So believe in God. Have faith in God. Then Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. And they were probably like on a mountain or in a valley and they saw a mountain, uh, like a, a big hill uh, uh, ahead of them. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, you may be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. That's kind of crazy. I mean, why would Jesus want to lift a mountain and throw it into the sea? I'm like, I I, I don't know. But Jesus says this. I mean, it's kind of random. Like, see this mountain? If you want to say to this mountain, get into the sea, you can do it. I'm thinking in the human world, that's impossible. Nobody can do that. I don't even think Apple, with all their innovation, could do it. I don't even think that, uh, I don't know, the people who built Dubai could do that. I don't know, people who built the pyramids. They wouldn't be able to just get a mountain and move it into the sea. But yet, in this heavenly realm, in this in this, in this this world that we don't see, it seems that that is possible. So he says this, see this mountain? He says, if you want it to go into the sea, it can go into the sea. Then he says this, but you must believe and it will happen. So there's a key. You must believe. And, so there's a second part, and have no doubt in your heart. So not even one ounce of doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you have received it, it will be yours. he says, when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive you of your sins also. Notice here, Jesus says, if you believe and do not doubt in your heart, then you, when you will get what you ask for. Now, I, I sometimes struggle over this. I'll be totally honest. I, I, I've prayed for a lot of things. Some things have happened. Some things have come about. I've had answers to prayer. I've prayed for things that haven't happened. And sometimes I'm like, God, why why didn't that happen? I've seen people who have been so sick and we've prayed for, and they died. And I'm thinking, God, why? Why? And I don't know. I can't get my, my brain around that. All I know is that God's ways are not our ways. But all I know is the Bible does say this. If you believe and do not doubt in your heart, you will receive. Believe and do not doubt, and you will receive. I think the reason for this is that faith is like a key and it's the key that opens that door into this unseen world. And the enemy of your soul, he knows this. And so what he does, he starts to plant seeds of doubt in your heart so that you cannot open that door. And in fact, in the same in Matthew in the book of Matthew it talks about the same situation, the same conversation that Jesus had. But in the book of Matthew it says, "It says all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed in order to do this. The mustard seed was like the smallest seed that, 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 that you could have. So basically Jesus was saying, you only need a small little seed of faith to open this door. And then in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says this. This is the second part to faith. It's not just believing, but this is the second part. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart... That you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. It's something I think is think even harder than believing in a heart. And that's confessing with our mouth. Confessing with our mouth. By speaking out our faith in God, we are proving our faith to God. And the Bible says it is by faith. Well, it's by grace through faith that we are made right. With God. And this is what unbelief does in your life. I think unbelief makes you start to speak out negatively. When you see a situation and you think it's hopeless. Unbelief will make you speak out negatively. Think we'll never get through this mess. We'll never get over this. When you see an issue maybe with your kids or your marriage. think It's all hopeless. I'm like will we ever get over this? That's what unbelief does. It puts those seeds of doubt and it starts to make you speak negatively. Yet faith is something different. Faith is basically speaking out that Jesus is Lord. And as you speak out that Jesus is Lord, your faith grows because you're speaking in belief in who God is. I think you can always tell how much faith somebody has in God by the words that they speak with their mouth. I'm not saying, because I know this, you see people on TV, they're like, hey, if you want a big yard or an airplane, then just believe for it and speak it out and you'll get it. I'm like, I, I, I don't think that's good theology. Because, just because you want something doesn't mean it's good for you. But I do believe That when you start to speak out the words of God and what God's plan is for your life and the words that are written in the Bible, I do believe that faith rises up within you and you start to see things in your life that you never thought that you could see before. And so I honestly believe that someone's faith can be shown by the words that they speak. If they are always negative, it shows that they do not have much faith that God can do much. But if they're always speaking out words like God is going to do this or I'm believing in God, it just shows that they have faith within them. So you say, well, Alex, well, that's very well. If faith overcomes my unbelief, how can I get faith? How can I get faith? And the answer is very simple. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, it says this. It says, so faith comes or is made by hearing. That is, hearing The good news about Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and that is hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. When you open your ears to hear the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, it is like you are handing the keys to this door, to this unseen world. And it's a door that if you walk through, you will see all the fullness and the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. It's not a world that's kind of spooky and like, whoa, what are you talking about? It's a world where man and God meet and no longer there's a separation, but you are made right with God and you come together and you see God for all that he is. When you start to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus went to Nazareth, we see in, in, uh, in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus said, He was amazed by their unbelief. Think about that for a moment. This is God. This is God in the form of flesh. This is Jesus who could do anything. I mean, it would be pretty hard to amaze Jesus. But yet Jesus was amazed because of their unbelief. Actually, we see a few more times in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the Gospels, we see that Jesus is amazed. There was one time when this centurion came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, my daughter is sick. If you just say the words, she will be healed. And the Bible says Jesus was amazed at the guy's faith. There was another example where, when a woman, she couldn't get, there were so many crowds around Jesus, she couldn't get to him, but she had this, this, uh, this problem, this illness, this sickness she had had for years, and she crept through the crowds, and she just grabbed hold of the hem of his garment, and she believed at that point that she would be healed, and Jesus, the Bible says, was amazed at her faith. And I want to ask you today, is Jesus amazed at you? Is Jesus amazed at you? Is he amazed at your faith? Or is he amazed at your unbelief? Think how bad these guys, is this unbelief, this, this place, now, how bad that unbelief must have been for Jesus to be amazed at it. But yet, he was amazed at it. Basically, how could anyone deny that Jesus was a miracle worker? Yet the people in Nazareth denied it. How could anybody deny that Jesus was the God and it was God in the form of a man but yet the people of Nazareth denied it? How could anyone insult the one who would die for their sins yet the people at Nazareth did? They did because unbelief had blinded them and slowly it was destroying their souls. So is Jesus amazed at you? Amazed that you believe he can do the impossible. Or amazed that you just don't believe him at all. If you're struggling to believe this morning, if you're finding it hard to grasp hold that maybe there is a God, or you're finding it hard to grasp hold that God really can answer your prayers, then it is time to make war on your unbelief. And there is only one way to make war. And I unbelief. And that is by hearing. And as we close today. I want to just spend two minutes. And I want to just share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you. You may have never accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe it is by hearing the gospel that you come to faith in Jesus. Some of you. You've believed in the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you followed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed your life. But yet you are struggling with unbelief. It is by that same gospel. That faith arises in you. And you can make war on your unbelief. You know before this world was formed. The Bible says that. There was God. The Bible says before. The world. God was God. And there was not much else. And God decided to. Make this world. He made the earth. He made the stars. He made the planets. He made the sun. He made the animals and the sky and the the waters and the fish and the birds in the air. And he made human beings. And he made human beings to be perfect and right. Human beings to live forever in a place called Eden. But one day, these human beings, who we know as Adam and Eve, decided to sin against God. God had told them, you can have free reign, you can do anything. Just don't pick the fruit from one tree. But yet, there was something in them that decided to pick of this one fruit. And as they picked of this one fruit, then suddenly sin came into their lives. And because they disobeyed God, God says, there is only one result for disobeying God. And that is this, death. So instead of living forever, they died. They lived Many more years after that, but they slowly died. And as humanity then, then came on, as, as Adam and Eve had kids, and then their kids had kids, and then their kids' kids had kids, and then suddenly the nations were, and the, and the earth was populated, sin grew more and more and more in people's lives. And then one day God said, okay, I'm going to give you a law. I'm going to give you a written law to abide by. Just to show how sinful human beings can be. And so he gave this law. But man could not keep to this law. Man kept disobeying this law. And so one day God said, Enough's enough. I'm going to do the only thing I know that I can do in order to save these human beings. To bring these human beings from separation back to be right with me. And one day... On the very first Christmas, there was a young boy, a baby, who was born in a stable to a virgin called Mary. And this man was named Jesus. He lived a sinless life. He lived on this earth for 33 years. He performed many miracles. He fed people. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He, He healed the sick. He opened the, 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 blind, the eyes of the blind, the, the ears of the deaf. This man, Jesus, he raised the dead to life. But yet, at the hands of some Jews who did not believe that Jesus really was Jesus. Jesus was led up a mountain with a crown of thorns thrust, uh, uh, thrust on his head. He was beaten. He was bruised. At the time that the nation of, uh, uh, of Israel, or this place Judea where Jesus lived, was governed by Roman soldiers. And the Romans led them up, directed by the Jews, up to a place, up to a mountain called Calvary. And off the top of this mountain called Calvary, there was a place called Golgotha, meaning the place of the skull. And there Jesus Christ died On this cross. Either side there was two common thieves. And at that time, the cross was the the way of execution for the worst criminals. Only the worst criminals would be executed. But Jesus, a sinless man, a man who never sinned, never done any wrong, died at that point for the sins of men. Three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And at that point, he started to tell his disciples, I want you to go into all the world and declare my good news, preach my gospel, bring the good news to the nations. Jesus then, after 40 days, went up to heaven. The Bible says... That in that time between Jesus rising from the dead and going to heaven, hundreds and hundreds of people saw Jesus and witnessed that Jesus was alive. And then hundreds saw Jesus go up in the clouds in the sky to heaven. And Jesus says, I will return one day. But in the meantime, go and declare my good news. And then what happened is then after that, then. That these disciples, that then, that then God said, I'm going to send a comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit came and it dwelt within their lives. And then they suddenly started going out preaching and declaring the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in a sure matter of a few weeks, that the whole city of Jerusalem was totally turned upside down. Thousands of people have found Jesus Christ and then it went and spread to a place called Samaria, and then it went into a place called Turkey, and then it went into Greece, and it went into the rest of the Roman Empire, and within a few hundred years, this gospel of Jesus Christ had turned the world upside down. Lives had been changed. People had been healed. People had been delivered. People had been raised back by them, uh, to life from the dead. All because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel is still alive today. That good news is still alive today. And each and every one of you has an opportunity to let that gospel embrace your life. And as you let that gospel embrace your life, faith will rise within you. And as faith rises within you, it makes war on unbelief. And no longer are you separated from God but you're brought back to life. You're brought back to relationship. You're brought back in communion with the God of this universe who loves you so much, who believes in you so much, and you matter so much to Him. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's by that gospel that faith is made. It's by hearing that gospel that faith is made. Let's pray.